Hey, this is the last coffee house. So we're talking about fiction, a room with a view by E.M. Forster. It was published in 1908. Now, this is kind of a beloved classic. It's about having a summer in the Italian countryside. It's ostensibly a romance. It's really easy to read. It's often funny. So I think it's one of those classical novels that just kind of fits in and balances out all the very serious stuff that tends to populate the greatest works of literature kind of list. This has a number of ideas that it's working with, but we'll go through some of that. So the contents, what is it about? It's about, uh, starts off with some English women in Italy. Lucy and Charlotte, they're vacationing. Like I said, it's a romance on the surface. They're whining about the view in their room. They're overheard by Mr. Emerson, who's staying with his son George in a room with a view. Roll credits. Lucy and her friend, like, humorously denigrate Emerson and George as low class, and this is something that's a through line throughout the entire novel, is that that class disdain. Now, Mr. Emerson is kind of just a straightforward, tell-it-like-it-is kind of a guy and Lucy and her friend are still within the entrapment of their social status that they feel like they have to denigrate people who are who act a certain way or have a, suit, a certain income or whatever. So much of the book is is about that and the trappings of class and fighting against those. So Lucy goes through most of the book that she's fighting against those inclinations. So you see that struggle internally as she's working with as she's interacting with other people in the book. She eventually gets back to England. She accepts Cecil's proposal, it, it will be his, I think it's his third one by that point. <laughs> she rejects him a couple of times. Cecil is a, kind of the expected spouse for her stature. Oh, prior to this, uh, Lucy and George witness a murder and George like catches her as she's swooning. <laughs> So this uh, punctuating moment. Then when she's back in England, George makes a love salvo. Lucy has an awesome breakup with <laughs> Cecil or Cecil. They have a they have a pretty sweet breakup. And then she ultimately elopes with George in Florence. So uh, like I said, on the surface, simple romance story. You know, it's something that by this time, by now, our modern area, we've seen this a million times where the woman's like, oh no, I've got to pick for me, you know. But at the time, it was pretty novel. So I guess I could just go right into my analysis. Look at that. Just generally. Generally, it's very easy to read. It's easy to digest. It's just kind of pleasant. <laughs> so it's something you could sit down and take in and it's not going to stress you out too much. It doesn't have a whole bunch of like death thematic elements or anything like that. It's just, it's an easy read. The prose is not exceedingly complicated, nor is it groundbreaking. It's not going to blow your hair back. It's just a little more than functional. So there's a little extra in there, but not a whole bunch more than that. It's not something that's going to blow you away. It is often funny though. I found myself laughing at it several times. So what kinds of ideas does it have going through it? It's got themes about women forging their own path rather than kind of falling into the accepted role that society's prepared for them. And of course now we take that kind of a theme for granted, but then it would have been a pretty big deal. Although this was written right around when like To the Lighthouse was coming out, which is far more groundbreaking in virtually every way when it comes to storytelling. Now this one might be more acceptable like or digestible when it comes to your average reader because it deals with it has its themes but deals with things in kind of a straightforward way as opposed to to lighthouse which 
does it in a more artistic way. So like I said, it's got some themes about class and the way class functions but shouldn't function. It has some ideas about that. It's got an early instance of kind of the inversion of what the traditional setup would be where you have the wealthy man with the woman who's poor or needs him to, you know, rescue her from, from the situation. It's got an inversion of that where you've got the wealthy woman and the man, I don't, he wasn't really poor. I mean, he was vacationing in the Italian countryside and he had the room with the view, but still he wasn't like high class, but still it was, it was that inversion where you had the high class wealthy woman who's going after the lower class man. Uh, so that was probably pretty significant at the time. Again, this was early 20th century. Now the characters aren't particularly complex. I mean, Lucy has some stuff. It's kind of fun to see her, uh, having her kind of sociological conflicts with, with people, her and her friend doing that. And the, the way they navigate kind of the expected social mores that they have to exhibit at any given time. It's kind of fun to see that, but I keep saying kind of. <laughs> Uh, the characters aren't really complex. And when it comes especially to the other characters, you know, characters like George or Mr. Emerson or Cecil, those characters are mostly just foils to be able to execute the theme rather than actually being complex characters within themselves. So like Cecil, when they're having the breakup, he just kind of accepts it, doesn't have much of an emotional reaction or anything like that. He still presses for it, you know, and wants the marriage to happen, but he doesn't like break down and this is one of the things that annoyed her about him but the point is that it fits the thematic it fits the thematic of he's the the stayed safe route the expected route that she's supposed to be taking so therefore he needs to fit within that thematic arc and so he doesn't really have a personality same thing for George George you don't know a whole lot about him he's just a spirited good-looking lower-class guy you know there's not much else to him like if he was more individual, then it would seem more like a, a straightforward romance story in that they, you know, they're compatible, they work out, they're real characters, and they just go off together, and that's that. But the fact that he's a little more conventional suggests that it's more about the thematic of her not really just choosing a guy, it's her choosing to follow her own path, notwithstanding whatever the expectations of her family are. So it's more about that than it is about, you know, real characters. And that's, that's a really tough balance to do. Uh, I mean, to the lighthouse similarly it didn't really have distinctive characters it really more had foils although there there was a lot more to what was going on into the lighthouse than there is here really and that's i mean fundamentally that's kind of the thing that annoys me is that it's not especially creative or subtle in the thing that it's exploring for these themes you know the whole motif of does she marry that guy or does she marry the other guy is pretty much the most straightforward way imaginable of exploring this idea of a woman choosing her own path instead of falling into society. And that's just not a very interesting idea. I mean, like I said, it's 1908, but around 1908, early 20th century had a flowering of incredible literature, and even prior to that. So, I could see why this has resonated so much, because it's more accessible. It's like why uh, The Shawshank Redemption is considered a great film. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it seems really smart, but it's actually really digestible for any given average viewer. So that's why they kind of elevate it and say, oh my God, it's so amazing. When it really doesn't have the legs that a lot of other works of literature do. Just like with The Shawshank Redemption, doesn't really have the, the interest or understanding of the film pedigree before it or the film pedigree thereafter, or it, it doesn't really do much more than be an accessible, seemingly smart 
avant-garde kind of piece of cinema. And that's what this mostly does. Like I said, it's mostly accessible, but it does have some, it's really pleasant to read and it does have some at least greater thematics that that push it above 99% of literature, you know, everywhere. It's still above those. It just doesn't reach that next level. But having said that, I do want to say like the, the theme behind it is not overly explicit. You know, it's not just like Forster could have the characters <laughs> say things that are just explicitly hit the themes on the nose, but he doesn't really do that. He lets it kind of play out. So you have the, the surface romance story and uh, you can look deeper into it if you want to, to see the bigger themes. And Forster is gay, so he might have more of an interest in expressing his desire to be able to just be out and be able to have his lifestyle liberated as opposed to being that interested in women getting out of the yoke of <laughs> of uh, you know society. Uh, he could have more of an interest in that way. It's also funny that if this were the first time a wealthy female protagonist goes after a not wealthy male love interest, it's interesting that a gay man would be the one to do that first. I would love to see, I don't know, I haven't read any studies about it, about whether this was the first time or not. Anyway, just an interesting tidbit. Okay, so some quotes from it. Uh, the very first line is, the senora had no business to do it, said Miss Bartlett. No business at all. So I'm going to try to remember to do all the first lines, because I love the first lines of literature. Obviously, it sets the tone. It's a big deal. Quote, she knew that the intruder was ill-bred even before she glanced at him, end quote. I like that, because it's just when Mr. Emerson said something in the background. And she's like, oh, I already know you're ill-bred. <laughs> There are a lot of just funny things like that just made me laugh. Quote, we are friendly as one is in pensions. Then I will say no more. He pressed her very slightly and she said more. <laughs> End quote. Uh, so, quote, It was pleasant to wake up in Florence to open the eyes upon a bright bare room with a floor of red tiles which look clean, though they are not, with a painted ceiling whereon pink griffins and blue amorini sport in a forest of yellow violins and bassoons. It was pleasant, too, to fling wide the windows, pinching the fingers in unfamiliar fastenings, to lean out into sunshine with beautiful hills and trees and marble churches opposite and close below the Arno, and close below the Arno, gurgling against the embankment of the road, end quote. So like I said, it's it's a little more, but there's not anything that's really pushing the boundaries or especially interesting in the prose. It's just pleasant. <laughs> you know, I think it uses the word pleasant in that. It's just, it's just nicely digestible and nice to read. Quote, my dear, said the old man gently, that I think that you are repeating what you have heard older people say. You are pretending to be touchy, but you are not really. Stop being so tiresome and tell me instead what part of the church you want to see. To take you to it will be a real pleasure. Now, this was abominably impertinent, and she ought to have been furious, end quote. I mean, we take this for granted now, this kind of a, a setup of the uncultured swinish man who's just telling it to a woman like it is. We take it for granted, but this is probably something that's very novel at the time. Quote, this desire to govern a woman, it lies very deep and men and women must fight it together before they shall enter the garden, end quote. So there are actually a number of seemingly antiquated lines about women, but obviously it's through the voice of the character who is struggling with, uh, you know, the things that are expected 
expected on her, expected of her. So it's likely just part of that motif of her struggling to fight against it until she finally does by uh, not marrying Cecil and getting with George. So that is A Room with a View by Ian Forrester. And I don't know how many more times I could say it. <laughs> it's just a delightful read, but it's not going to blow your hair back. That's that. I finished World Order by Henry Kissinger, and I'll do a thing on that soon. I know I still haven't done 100 Years of Solitude. I know I've got The Castle coming up by Kafka that I'm rereading because I read it forever ago and I can't remember much about it, so I'm trying to reread it to get that done. But other than that, we'll see what's coming up. I'm, I'm trying to do more books. I really like doing books. I like talking about, you know, philosophical or political issues as well, but it's just there's not as much to those because it's really just a function of there are a whole hell of a lot of details and uh, a lot of times it's just people misframe these things and completely ignore what their framing would mean if they turn it back on themselves or turn it to something that they like or don't want it to apply to or whatever. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what comes up. I'm sure there are articles with ridiculous stuff in them that I'd like to debunk. But for the most part, I just I want to talk about books and uh, bring up some more books and we'll see what other books come around. Speaking of, uh, I have a book on, on Amazon. It's just on Amazon. It's called John Shade Reads Aspiring Authors, Volume 1. So please, if you want to have a look at that, it's all about literature and writing and analyzing writing. And I thought it was a lot of fun. So check that out if you want to. Much appreciated. Hope all is well. Okay, that's the last coffee house. Bye. Bye.